As we approach the Word today, um, our sermon title is Refocusing Our Biblical Identity. And I think within the world that we live, family, we need a constant recentering ourselves on Jesus and just saying, this is who we are. This is truth and this is life. We're bombarded by the spirit of the world, the influence of the world and all that it has trying to dictate and tell us who we are and who we should be. But the word of God, the spirit of the Holy Spirit in our lives is the one that truly gives us our identity and who we are. You see, our identity is being sons and daughters of the living in God, brothers and sisters to one another, united in faith, hope, and love. But the world would try to combat that and try to disunify us as a people. And so may the Spirit of the Lord just release uh, redirecting our hearts on the identity that we've given today. About three months ago, Pastor Ryan was uh, speaking, and Pastor Ben asked him to speak about reaching the next generation. And he had an excellent sermon that just challenged us and helped us to understand and influence to really grow out and reach our young people. He said that we need God to give us a heart for our young people. Family, may the Spirit of the Lord just do that. Our young people are beloved. and They're our future. They're our hope. May the Spirit just give us a heart for our young people. And then he went on to say that we need to intentionally develop relationship with them. You know, it's super hard. Open your mouth. (laughs) Open your wallet. Get Starbucks. Take them out to lunch. Bring them home for dinner. You know, it's just reaching out to them and loving them and purposely allowing them to know that they're loved, accepted, wanted in the family of God. And then he talked about how we need to receive from them, releasing them to be all that Jesus has called them to be. Family, they're our heritage. Our young people are heritage. It's not just about our natural family, but it's our spiritual family. They are the ones that are continue the mission of Jesus Christ and carry it on. And we need to invest in them, invest them deeply, pester them, love them, give them a bad time. Amen? Not that I would ever do that. (laughs) Pastor also uh, asked me to do something, and I was hoping that he would forget. (laughs) I was praying that he would forget. Uh, But for some reason, he remembered and said that this is the weekend. And he asked me to speak to the older generation. Now, what I share is not just for old people. This is the Word of God. And the Word of God is eternal. And there's spiritual truth for each of us. And I'll remind us as I speak. But again, there's a challenge for us as we are facing the aging process. There's a heart attitude that needs to shift. We are called to be a people of faith and hope and love and keep our eyes focused on Jesus. And it's to that that we want to speak today. As we face our latter years, aging is a natural process that affects each person differently. By the way, we're all in the aging process from birth on. Have fun with that. (laughs) The obstacles that we face, declining health, feelings of uselessness, giving up what we used to love to do, the loss of our friends, the loss of our loved ones, the loss of our family members, and the uncertainty of what life holds and the uncertainty of death that will eventually come. The question that we face 
is what should I be doing now? How should I live my life now? I mean, I hit uh, 64 and now I'm 65. And we used to have these cakes, uh, the snakes in a can, you know, and you'd pull it off and they'd burst out at you and everybody'd laugh. And it's like, okay, whatever, have fun with that. Well, I found out that my mailbox has become snakes in a can. <laughs> but the snakes in a can that are there are called stuff for Medicare, called for retirement, and all of those things. And I'm, my goodness, you know, they just never stop coming. My wife laughs at me, and I just point my finger at her and say, your day's coming, my dear. <laughs> the focus that we have is not on what we do, but on who we are. And that is something that is so hard for us as a culture. This culture is focused on doing. It's what do you do? What do you contribute? What is your ministry? What is your life? What is your purpose? What is your business? How much money do you have? What do you drive? All of those things are focused on what we do. But family, that's not a biblical reality. The biblical reality that we have is on who we are or whose we are. It's a community identity along with the identity of being sons and daughters of the living God. My identity is not being a pastor. My identity is more than being a Christian. My identity is sown in the fact that I am a son of the living God, that I am loved that I am forgiven, and that I have destiny and purpose in Jesus. And often we allow the culture to define our identity, or we allow the mirror to define our identity and who we are, instead of truly understanding whose we are, because that's the ultimate identity. This life that we live in now is like taking a dime and putting a dime on Interstate 5 between Canada and between Mexico on one side of the freeway or the other. I dare you to find it. You can't find it. The short time that we live on this earth is like a dime and compared to the eternity that God has placed before us. Our true identity is not that which we do here and now, but our identity is on whose we are, being a part of the kingdom of God and dwelling with him forever. That is eternal destiny and who we are. And that requires the right attitude and the right character to follow that. The answer is maintaining a close relationship with Jesus and his people. It's being a part of the family of God. And we live in a culture that tries to isolate ourselves and draw us away from ourselves. It's like I had a dog that had parvo. And this dog, when he got parvo, he would run out in the bushes and try to hide in the bushes so that he could die. I'd grab that dog by the neck. I'd pull that dog out. I'd speak into that dog's life. You're going to live. His little eyes are rolling all around. And it's like, you are not going to be isolated by yourself, but you are going to be part of this community and you're going to continue to live, dog. And that needs to be something that enters into our heart and life. The answer is relationship with Jesus and his people and being a part of that and receiving the life from that. Isolation will kill us, but corporate living together will give us much life. It's in the presence of the Lord. It's in the presence of the Lord. Family, that as we worship in the presence of God comes down, that's life. Can you imagine that? I, I long for Moses. Moses was the one that stepped into the presence of the Lord and his face shone for the rest of his life. I'm like, we want that and more. 
because that's where life is. Our scripture is found in Psalm 71. I want to read the scripture to you. It's a little bit long, but it has relevance for where we're going. The word of the Lord says, In you, Lord, I have taken refuge. Let me never be put to shame. In your righteousness, rescue me and save me. Extend your ear to me and help me. Be to me a rock of dwelling in which I may continually come. You have given the commandments to save me, for you are my rock and my fortress. Save me, my God, from the hands of the wicked, from the grasp of the wrongdoers and the ruthless, for you are my hope. Lord God, you are my confidence from my youth. I have leaned on you since my birth. You are he who took me from my mother's womb. My praise is continually to you. I have become a marvel to many, for you have been my strong refuge. My mouth is filled with your praise and with your glory all day long. Do not cast me away at the time of my old age, and do not abandon me when my strength fails. For my enemies have spoken against me, and those who are watch for my life have consulted together, saying, God has abandoned him. Pursue and seize him, for there is no one to save him. God, do not be far from me. My God, hurry to my aid. May those who are enemies of my soul be put to shame and be consumed. May they be covered with disgrace and dishonor who seek to injure me. But as for me, I will wait continually and will praise you yet more and more. My mouth shall tell of your righteousness and of your salvation all day long, for I do not know the sum of them. I will come with the mighty deeds of your Lord God, I will make mention of your righteousness and yours alone. God, you have taught me from my youth and still declare your wondrous deeds. And even when I'm old and gray, God, you will not abandon me until I declare your strength to this generation, you power to all who are to come. For your righteousness, God, reaches to the heavens. You have done great things. God, who is like you? and you have shown many troubles and distresses, will revive me again and will bring me up again from the depths of the earth. May you increase my greatness and turn to comfort me. I will also praise you with the harp and your truth, my God. I will sing praises to you with the lyre, Holy One of Israel. My lips will shout for joy when I sing praises to you and my soul, which you have redeemed. My tongue also will tell of your righteousness all day long, for they are put to shame, for they are humbled or humiliated who seek my harm. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Amen. As we look at this psalm, the psalm focuses basically on a person aging. But again, let me say this, that this truth is for all of us in this place. Each in a stage of life, there is a truth for us to apply to our hearts. Again, we're speaking encouragement to our older congregants, but we're also speaking life to our younger congregants that you would step up and that you would be all that Jesus has called you to be. We are a family and we function together. 
So this is a psalm, we believe, of David. It's not addressed who wrote it, but it really sounds like David, doesn't it? And it is believed that it is a psalm that was written as he was about 60 years old, and he was fleeing from Absalom at the time. And this is what he poured out, asking God to save him and delivering him. And he puts much in this. So we want to just break it down a little bit and apply this to our life for the next couple minutes. Verses 1 to 4. It's a plea for help and deliverance. A plea for continued help. Deliver me. Rescue me. Save me. Isn't that something that we should be praying all the time? I don't know about you, but less and less I'm confident in this person called Scott and more and more confidence in the God who created me and loves me. And there are things that we do from simple things to other things. It's like, God, save me, help me, deliver me. Inviting the Lord into the situation because we want to know our God. He is our strength. It's a declaration of faith. You have saved me. You are my rock, my solid foundation. You are the fortress, the one that surrounds me. You see, hope is based in trusting God and remembering his character and his works. And his character and works are clearly stated in the word of God as we read of the miraculous deliverance into things that he has done over and over again. And as we read the very words of Jesus, the word declares us the character and the works of God and that which we can appropriate to ourselves and say, this is for me. As we're reading the word, we should be that. It's not just a story. It's a story of how God moves among his people, but also it is something for you and I to apply to our life and say, this is for me. We move on to verses five to eight, and it's a declaration of God's faithfulness from birth. He is a God of hope and one whom we place our confidence in. And it's a response with thanksgiving, praising God for, in remembrance for all that he's done through our life. Do you do that? Let me share my life a little bit. I was born as a twin, greatest curse in life. Uh, <laughs> but I was the small twin and I was born just over three pounds. And the doctors took me and handed me to my parents and said, he's going to die. Take him home and let him die. False prophecy, family. <laughs> still here, still doing it. <laughs> my parents, you know, they thought, well, we made him angry. He lived to resent us. I'm like, you, you guys are so far off the truth. God is the God that has given me life. And he delivered me from death. Even as an infant, he gave me life. I also had a great activity, and I was really excited about this. I love to jump off house roofs. <laughs> I was going to be Superman, where Superman flipped over and broke both of his arms at one time. But the fact is, Superman didn't break his neck. The deliverance of the Lord. I've been in two rollover accidents that should have taken my life. And here I am. Do you want to go driving? I'm a Californian. <laughs> I've also been on many mission trips with danger. I went with one with Dr. Dan and Roseanne, and uh, we were in a, a Muslim village, heavily Muslim. There is probably at least two, 300 people outside. And all of a sudden, one of the leaders came to me, not Dr. Dan, but said, it's your time to preach. And I was like, goody, goody. 
they've got big guns out there, and it's like, Jesus, this is for you. Here we go. <laughs> you see, in every situation that I've been in from my youth, I have found the grace of God to sustain me. And what does that say, family? If he has sustained my whole life to this point, that he will continue to sustain me and release his promises. You see, it's an aspect of declaring the goodness of God and seeing the faithfulness of the Lord. And there's something that happens in our heart as we age, we forget these things. But both the scripture of remembering the great miracles and the word of God is what's stated in the scripture, and then relating from our birth the miraculous things that God has done and remembering those things will develop a faith in our heart to where, where we can declare the goodness of the Lord and declare that my God is for me. And in this season of my life, that he will be faithful. As we are younger people, we need to look at this and say, he is faithful in every season of life. If he can do it for that old guy up there, he can do it for me as well. Amen? Amen. I didn't hear you young people. But <laughs> Verses 9 to 13. It's a supplication of the aged expressing dependency on God. It's a prayer that God will not abandon us in our old age when we no longer feel useful, and when our enemies seek to destroy us. It's a plea for vindication, and it's a plea for deliverance from the Lord. It's really, the intent is, please remember me, and remember the covenant promises that you've made to me. In essence, instead of simply believing what the world says and what my own emotions say as I'm going through the aging process, it's a turning to God and saying, this is not right, but you are right. And it's a plea for help in the situation. We go on to verses 14 to 18, and it's a declaration of hope despite the circumstances. The response to our prayer is with faith. It's a strong declaration of commitment regardless what happens. And it's a praise for the salvation of God. Hope in present deliverance and also a declaration of the future. So again, the psalmist is writing in the sense, expecting God's deliverance in the situations that he's had. For David, deliver me from this is what's happening with Absalom. But it's also the focus that this life is not the end, but God has given us great deliverance. I don't know if you've ever been situa in situations where you truly felt that your life was in danger. Uh, I've been in several. I remember once I was in Nigeria and uh, the army was out being bad little soldiers and uh, they were stealing and taking and capturing people for ransom and things like that. And uh, usually you'd see the roadblocks and you'd turn around from the roadblocks. Well, we got trapped in a roadblock. And I was the white guy for about 50 miles. And uh, we got up to the pinch point and rifles came into both sides. And we really thought, oh, this is not gonna work out for good. And uh, as the guns came in, one of the soldiers on my side crossed himself and said, Father, and released us. I had happened to wear a black no shawler, uh, collar shirt that day with a cross on it and God's deliverance within that. 
But as we were going up to the roadblock, my mind was there and it just said, Lord, it doesn't matter what happens. You are a good, good God. Another thing that happened to us is that we were traveling with some of the youth and uh, Lori was with us and uh, we got into a van accident. The van actually something happened and it flipped end over end and rolled down the hill twice. And as we're rolling, it was the peace of the Lord was there. It was slow motion and there was cookies and donuts flying (laughs) through the air, you know. True story, it was there, you know. It's like trying to reach out and get the last bite of life, you know. But as we were going through that process, in my mind, I said, Jesus, it really doesn't matter how this ends up. I love you. I praise you. I worship you. You are my God, my rock, and my strength. And family, that's really where the psalmist is going. It doesn't matter where life goes, whether we're young or old. But it's really the element that knowing that God is for us and trusting him in the seasons of life that we're in. And the psalmist was saying, it doesn't matter the outcome. It's you that I trust. It's you that I seek. As we move on to verses 19 through 21, it's an assertion of continual faith in God's faithfulness. It's praising God for the great things that he's done and for the deliverance that he has brought and will continue to do. Again, family, we need to fight for life and not just simply accept things as though, well, this is the way it is. It's like, no, we have a comma in our life, but God. And if God before us, who can be against us? It's the pleading for God into taking each of these difficult situations, impossible situations before the Lord and say, Lord, you can do something about this. And I trust you in this. Do we do that, family? And then finally, verses 22 through 24, it's a vow to worship God and publicly declare his faithfulness. It's declaring that all that God has said, all that God has done and promised to do is true. Let me put it this way. It's using our praise as a weapon against doubt, against fear and against adversity. And I don't know about you, but there are things that happen in this weak frame called a body at times, and I have no clue, and medical people have no clue what's going on. And that anxiety can come up. But as I enter into this place with you, and as I begin to worship, all of that breaks in the presence of the Lord. The truth of his presence and his love comes, and it's enough to be with Jesus It's using praise. It's using thanksgiving. It's using remembrance to declare the goodness of the Lord in the past, in the present, and the future because our God is for us. As we move on, there are three obstacles or trials that we face in old age. But again, they're not just for old age. They're for all of us. And we need to apply these. The first obstacle is failing to understand the character and the will of God. He is a promise-keeping God. His will is for our salvation and for our fruitfulness from beginning to end of life. He has given us a promise to fight off the attacks and the lies of the world. His promises break the lies of the world. And so as we face the obstacle of failing to understand his character and will for our lives, we need to do battle. We do battle by memorizing the scripture 
Remember Jesus, when Jesus was tempted by the devil, it is written. He declared the word. And as you and I declare the truth that God has spoken to us in his word, but also individually as a promise, as we declare those things, the obstacles are broken and we begin to see the true character of God. The second obstacle that we face is neglecting our relationship with Jesus. I've had many people come up to me. I've read the Bible through and through two, three times. It's enough. I know what the Bible says. <laughs> I laugh. <Yeah. laughs> then I want to slap them, you know. <laughs> the Bible is a spiritual book. It is unlike any book that was ever written. It doesn't matter how many times that you read through the book, how many times that you hear sermons, there is always new truth that is presented. Pastor Ben has brought out some revelation in the Word. I'm like, whoa, why did I never see that? I've only been doing this for 42 years. Why didn't I see that? And yet there's always revelation in the Word that comes forth. There's people that say, I don't get anything out of church. And I'm like, well, try attending it then, you know. <laughs> There's an aspect again. It's that we tend to, in society, step back from relationships. And the Lord is asking us to press into the relationship that we have with him. We can continually learn about God or we can focus on relationship with him. Some people come to the church as the perfect seminary. Teach me theology. Teach me about God. Others of us come and say, Lord, I want to know you. And there's a scripture that scares the tar out of me. And it says, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons in your name? Pentecostal baby, here I am, you know. And the Lord says, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. You see, the Christian life is no, more than knowing about the Bible. It's more than coming to church and spending time in church. But it's that that is really deep and relational with the Lord to know him. It's a face-to-face -face relationship. In John chapter 1, it says, and he, the word was God and he was with God. It, the, the Greek there is a face-to-face -face intimate relationship. And that face-to-face -face intimate relationship is what God is calling you and I to. And that's the thing that I'm really pressing into in my own personal life. It's like, I want to know you. And there's a little bit of fear of that too. It's like, I don't want to say that I don't know you. But that's the essence of where we are, the obstacle of neglecting our relationship with Jesus. The relationship should be something that continues to grow throughout our history and our life that we should know him more and more and feel confident in his presence. And as we truly know him and know his character, know his voice, know his works, and know his deep love for us, all those fears that we face through the various seasons of life should be cut off from our hearts because we truly know the one that has saved us. The last obstacle that we face is refusing to serve and focus on other people's needs. I don't know anybody. All my friends have left. I'm not needed. Self-focus and self-pity is destructive. 
You know, the Lord came to Abraham one day and said, start walking. And Abraham is what? So he went one way and said, the Lord said, no, go that way. And Abraham walked until he came to the land of Haran. And it's like, I'm here. <clears throat> and the Lord says, great, continue your walk. And so finally, Abraham ended up in the land of Israel. And he, would, and, the Lord, and he says, I'm here. And the Lord says, good, walk around the whole land. You see, Abraham was a pilgrim. The children of Israel were guided by a cloud. And when the cloud raised, they follow him. And family, you and I are not different. We're called to a pilgrimage. Relationships will change. That's one of the things that I really hate about Christianity. Is you, I'm just being truthful before you. You develop deep, deep relationship with people. And then the Lord moves them on or moves you on. And you say goodbye. And I'm a liar We'll see you later. My wife's like, you're such a liar, man. You'll never see him again. I'm like, I know that, but I'm not going to say that, you know. I will not say goodbye. Part of our life is loving people the way that Jesus loved people. And he's asking you and I to not take this for granted or refuse to serve and focus on other people's needs. Because family, as we develop a lifestyle of ministry, we never stop serving. But it is interesting, as we're serving and caring for others, how much Jesus will serve and care for us. I have found the deepest moments of revelation in my life is I'm caring and ministering for somebody else. And the Lord speaks to me in my heart, and he just transforms that which was in me, and it gives me a hope there is breakthrough, where I can sit up here all day long like a rock and pray, oh God, oh God, God, help me. And he hears that. But the word says given, it will be given to you. A pressed down measure. As we move on, I've got a couple of stories for you. First story is uh, Deb and I were living up here in Washington. And we got a call actually from Steve Show and said, uh, you've just been appointed the pastor of a church in Yuma, Arizona. So have fun. So we gathered up all our belongings and stuffed them into a rental truck and drove down to Yuma, Arizona. And the church was sitting on 7th Avenue and 11th Street, you know, is right there, 7-Eleven. Pretty easy to remember, you know. So we pull up to the intersection of 7-Eleven. We're looking left, looking right. We're just driving the truck forward. We see no church. So we drive around the block, and we wash our eyes out, clean my glasses and that, and then we pull up. And we realized that this building that's got a couple of drunk guys on the roof trying to patch the roof because it had just had a rainstorm. And then it's got official plastic stained glass windows in it. And so we're like, oh my goodness, this must be the church. The building was a wreck. It was full of auto parts. The carpets were overlapped and all of that. We walked through this and we said, this ain't God. So we got back into the truck and counted our money and found out we didn't have any money, and so we weren't going anywhere. <laughs> Perfect divine plan. You are set up for life, you know. So we decided, well, here it is. We've got to do this. And so we get all dressed up on Sunday. We go in and open the church, and uh, there was another church that was there just to introduce us to the congregation, should I say the congregant. 
And so we were told by Foursquare there's 20 or 30 people. We found out that Foursquare cannot count. They're not good at math. They counted the same person 20 or 30 times. It was literally the church of one. Heartbreaking. But again, it was just Jesus had set us up. And so we just began to minister to the one, and it grew to three, it grew to five, grew to ten. And there are people that would not fit in other churches, you know. Sorry, they were probably like me in my former life, you know. And so we finally were close to 20, but really just fighting. And then there were two couples that came from Oregon, Beaverton area, and they came to our church. They were winter visitors. You see, God had set them up and told them, you need to go buy an RV and go down to Yuma, Arizona. And they're like, where, God? And, uh, but anyways, they came down and they came to our church. And let me tell you, they were probably the most helpful people and a gift from God that we've ever had before. Before they came, we were really struggling. Deb would check the mailbox every week. You know, that's when we didn't have email. I would just write letters of, I resign, I quit, I'm not doing this. They never went anywhere. And I'm like, why didn't they take my reception? Well, Deb was there crinkling them up and throwing them away, you know. <laughs> this couple came in and they began to love us, to encourage us, to take us out for meals. They found out we didn't have anything. They gave us money, clothes, food. Um, and then they began to minister, both couples, to the people in our church. And it was really at that point that the church began to grow. And it was at that point that I truly began to develop. They helped me develop and be Scott and be how the Spirit of the Lord wanted me to be used. It was such a divine thing. Quote, retired people that came from a church that their pastor was so superior to who I was and yet they rolled up their sleeves and they helped the struggling young pastor and his family begin to do what God had called them to be. And that church grew and it was different than all the rest of the churches in the community because we had the grace, the love, the forgiveness of the Lord and we truly had mercy in our hearts and lives. The second story that I have for you is working at this church and when I was about 52, something happened to... Uh, and uh, the directors came to me and said, you're the young adult pastor. I started laughing at them. I said, I'm 52. What is wrong with you guys? Again, you guys don't know math either, you know. <laughs> and uh, they said, no, the Spirit of the Lord spoke to us. And <clears throat> Deb and I have never been able to have kids or adopt kids. You know, we don't know what's wrong, but it's just never worked out, you know. And... Uh, the young adults really became our family. They became our kids, and we loved it. And we served in that ministry for about nine years. But there was also a revelation in ourselves, you know, it's like the aging process is happening, and we need to time out. Well, there came a day that the church came, and it just said, guess what? You're no longer the youth and the young adult pastors. We were oversight of the youth and the young adult. I tell you, it just broke my heart. And all I wanted to do was run. I was like, I'm done. I'm out of here. I don't have any mission. I don't have any purpose anymore. And uh, they brought us up in a service and announced it. And it was just everything we could do to kind of even control our emotions through the process. You know, in a sense, you've taken our kids away. Uh, that's such a lie. It's not happened. 
But that's where our emotions were. We felt useless, no purpose anymore. But then somebody named Rich Root had real wisdom, and he was on the team. And uh, they were looking for a pastor, and he says, why? There he is. And they placed me in the pastoral care department. And they placed me in there long enough that when we came to the transition of Pastor Steve, that I was there. And the Lord used me through that. When COVID was there and Pastor Ben came to the church, I was there. And the Lord used me through the process. You see, there was a change of purpose, a change of focus, and a change of vision of ministry. But there was still the divine purpose in life. And the Lord was just asking me to embrace the new. And young and old, as we face this, there are seasons in life, family. And there will be things that we love to do, but the Lord is asking us to give those things up for his greater purpose and to move on in that which is essential. Because again, the essential for you and I is not what we do, but it is truly who we are. And it's the depth out of that that the Lord will use. The last thing, I don't know if it's a story or not, but I've learned as our staff has become much younger and younger, there's many of them in here today, they are family with me. And they are people that I get to receive from. I get to go and say, hey, I'm thinking about, and they're like, say what? I remember when I first met Pastor Ben and I was called into his office. It was such a strange meeting. He was speaking, I was speaking, and we didn't understand a thing each other was saying. <laughs> it was so thick in the room, we tried to give jokes, you know. The jokes didn't go anywhere because we didn't understand each other, you know. It was like it just fell on the ground. And I think both of us, he's like, oh, no, you got this old guy here. And I'm like, who is this young guy here, you know. But through time, we've truly grown to love each other. I love him deeply. He's a great brother. He's a great pastor, a great friend. But also, I'm so dependent on our young staff. I go to them and I'm like, this doesn't quite make sense. It doesn't ring to me. And they help me. And they give me the ability to be who I'm called to be. But I also have the sense of just being able to step back and watch them be who Jesus has made them to be. And to be that grandfather there that says, well done, man, keep doing it. And they're like, do all of it? Yeah, do all of it, man. <laughs> The process of change or processing change, the change that comes to all of us, letting go of that which we love to do. For me, it's basically letting go more and more of upfront ministry. I've done it for over 42 years, and I love doing it, and I sense the pleasure and the power of the Holy Spirit. But I also don't want to be a roadblock and stand in the way. There are classes that I've developed, <laughs> that I've taught for years, that I just love theology. And it's like, okay, somebody else is teaching it now. Here's my notes. And tell you what, if you want, I'll come and sit in the back and just tell you, well done. You do it your way. Anything that I have is mine, and I want to help you through the process. Preaching, less and less, more just one-on-one -on -one relationships and uh, just speaking into people's lives and receiving from them as well. Water baptisms. I've water baptized for, gosh, I don't know, 30, 40 years, you know. It's no longer me. I don't even go back there. I sit in the front seat and I watch our young people make waves in the tank and do things like that. 
but I watch them mature and grow in that which God has called them to be. You see, family, if we don't let go of that which is our identity, we can't receive that which God wants to give us to do next. And what he's given us to do is not some par, but it is something that's very much needed in the kingdom. You see, as change comes to all of us and we let go of that which we love to do, we may accept what we would perceive as a less prominent role. And for me, it's supporting our young pastors and rejoicing as they grow and do things in a new way and become who Jesus has made them to be. Because I know that the church of Jesus will go on. All that we've established here is going to go on. The second process of change is the challenge that we all face. It's the willingness to step back from the front lines and take a supportive role. And family, that is an age-related thing, but it also can be related to all ages, to let go of that which we are doing and to step back and encourage and help somebody else take that. It's the ability or the willingness to embrace a new way of doing things, the willingness to have a perspective shift, my ministry, to others' ministry. And really, if you take the truth, ministry is never about you and I. I'm like when I was a young pastor, I'm doing the ministry, man. And I read the Bible, and it says that we each get a crown. And I'm like, man, my crown is going to be big, and I'm going to be styling, you know. (laughs) And then my wife pointed out the scripture says more. I'm like, what do you mean, babe? And I read the scripture, and I'm going to throw my crown down at the feet of Jesus. And I'm like, why would I do that? I've earned this. But as I've walked through the years of ministry, family, before we started the service, Pastor Ryan was praying for me and I was praying, oh Jesus, if you don't show up, this is gonna stink. Help me. I've learned the truth that it's not my ministry, it's not your ministry, but it's Jesus's ministry. And it's Christ in us, that's the hope of glory. And as I really see that, it's not a big problem to let go of things because the Lord has purpose and destiny for all of us and he'll put us in the place that we're very much needed. Um, It's the willingness to have my perspective changed. As we apply this truth to our life, first application point is to find meaning in this season of your life. Whether you're young or old, accept the stages of life, lead a healthy life, and believe that Jesus is involved in this time of your life. All of us are facing obstacles, but we really need to find meaning and to trust the Lord in this situation of our life because he is a promise-keeping Lord. The second application point is have a willingness to step into new things. Serve Jesus in ways that you couldn't before. Find new ways of serving him. I remember we had a pastor on staff, the great Frank Greer, and he was a prophet. He says, blessed be the flexible, for they shall not be broken. And somebody out of that great thing brought me a Gumby. And Gumby is that rubber finger figure. And I have Gumby to this day on my desk because Gumby is flexible and God has created me to be flexible and allow the Spirit of God to use me in every situation as He wants. Our third application point is to remember your faith and Jesus' faithfulness to you. Face challenges head on with praise, with worship, Go through the trials. Answer the lie of insignificance. It is who you are and not what you do. See, bottom line is the essence of faith that we have. 
The church of Antioch was the first to be called Christian. And the reason that they were called Christian was because they reflected the very love and nature of Jesus Christ. It's who you are. It's not what you do. And my heart is that as I go through this season of my life and the aging process, that Jesus will emulate out of every cell of my body. People will know that I'm Christian and that his love and grace will affect their lives. That's more relational than it is purpose-driven. The final application point, <clears throat> I'm sorry, two more. One, pass your faith on to others. Share your story. Share biblical stories with others. Tell people what God has done. It's like that has a word in itself of the faithfulness of God. It gives people the ability to see God will be faithful for them. And then be involved. Remember that life is about people. Love them well. Be relational. Be spirit-led. Let other people help you and serve you. The other day we were down in the shop area and we were changing the shop around and there is this red toolbox that weighs three million pounds because, you know, as I've aged, I found that gravity increases, you know. <laughs> and so I was down there with Tony, you know, and Tony's like, pick up your end. And I am, I am picking up my end. <laughs> He's like, you, you pick up more, dude, you know. Tony's built like a tank. He did it by himself. I sat there and rejoiced, you know, as we did it, you know. Asked him later, did it hurt you? And he goes, yeah. And I'm like, good, you know. <laughs> the final thought for us all is one, this is the Christian life. A life of faith. The word says, if God be for me, who can be against me? May the Spirit of the Lord apply that to our life tonight because many of us are doubting the love and the faithfulness of God. But it's not what we feel. It's not our emotions. It's what is the Word of God said. It's the very nature of Jesus and who He is that if God be for me, who can be against me? This involves trusting God in every life situation. You see, Jesus is in the midst of the storm. He can silence the storm. He's the one that can walk on water. And it's to him we turn our attention and we trust in him. It's a life of faith, knowing that my God is for me. And that comes again, family, as we remember what God's faithfulness through our life, but also remember his faithfulness that we read through the word of God as we bathe ourselves in the word of God. He indeed is a God of faithful. The second, this is the Christian life, a life of dependence. Likewise, the Spirit helps in our weakness. Indeed, it's admitting our weakness and it's inviting God into the very every situation of our life. Family, so on, we do life in our own strength and I've learned more and more, I can't do this without you, Jesus. I am dependent upon you. If I'm gonna walk across the street, please be with me because I'm not looking left, I'm not looking right, you know. Deliver me. It's a life dependent. It's, that's by divine design. It's always been that way, walking with the Lord through the situations of life. And God is calling us into a deeper intimacy and dependency on him. Third, a life of submission. The word says, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. As we submit ourselves, it's the act of accepting and yielding to God in our life situations, trusting him through the situation. With Bridget right now, it's like, why'd this happen? Well, we can probably pinpoint the enemy had something to do with this. But how is this going to be resolved? 
walking step by step, hand in hand with God, trusting him. He is a faithful deliverer, not giving up, but keeping our focus on Jesus and being submitted to him through the process. And then finally, a life of sacrifice, presenting ourselves as living sacrifices, putting the towel of Jesus on and doing the works that he did. See, the love of Christ is the willingness to do what other people won't do. And as we go through the seasons of life, we have the privilege and the ability to do what other people could not do. And it's those things that change life. Ultimately, the Lord is asking us as a people, whatever age, whatever season we're in, is to truly trust Him, trust His Word, His faithfulness, deliverance. Remember what He has done in the Word and personally in our lives and being willing to hold His hand and trust Him in the steps that He's leading us through. And I believe for us as we're aging, the willingness to step back from the front lines and to take on a supportive role so our young people can do what God has called them to be. Because ultimately, we are here as a church that we're on mission with Jesus to see the lost saved and disciples made. That we are bringing people to Jesus and Jesus to people. And we are allowing God to move through us as a family to touch the very essence of community around us. He's asking us to set aside self-pity, worry, grief, and to embrace this season with trusting hope that if God be for us, who can be against us? Amen. Will you stand with me, family? And Father, it's to you today that we refocus our biblical identity in you. And Lord, we pray that every lie that the world has given us, every doubt, every struggle, Lord, where we feel that there is no way out, Lord, we pray that you would break those things over us today. And Lord, that you would give us grace to overcome. We pray that today, as a people, as a family, that you would refocus our identity in you and that we would see what the Spirit of God is doing. Every chain be broken, bondage be broken, we pray now in Jesus' mighty name. And everyone said, Amen. Thanks for listening. If you'd like more information about Northwest Church, go to our website, nwcfoursquare.org, or download our app in any of the app stores by searching Northwest Foursquare Church.